Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. man. Um, happy Father's Day, guys. A couple of you that came in uh, as I was greeting came in and I wish you Happy Father's Day. You kind of look surprised. I don't know if it's surprised that it was Father's Day or surprised that these are your kids. But these mine. They belong to me. Um, but it's it's a uh, it's a it's a neat thing to to gather the brood around on Father's Day and uh, and spend time together. And I hope you'll. You'll enjoy the day together. Um, oftentimes, publicly, guys, that's how we feel. I'm the man. At work, I'm the man. At church, I'm the man. At the ball field, I'm the man. Privately, though, most guys realize they're not the man. In fact, they're not the man they, they thought they were. They're not the man they need to be. Um, they're not the man their kids need them to be. Not the man sometimes their wife needs our culture needs them to be. And in truth, um, if you're like me, you look, at, you look at life situations and you look at the life of your dad and you look at the life of other men you respect and that you've admired and that's impacted your life, and that's the guy I want to be, not the guy I am. That guy, that's the guy. And these passages today that we're going to look at together, I think is going to hopefully encourage you, but also challenge and stir you a little bit um, today to to rethink manhood and rethink fatherhood and rethink how do I get from where I am privately when I, when I feel inadequate to where I want to be both privately and publicly to where I feel, yes, I'm becoming that man that I admired, my dad, that, that, that coach, that friend, that mentor. I'm becoming that guy. I'm becoming the guy God's designed for me to be. Well, uh, and ladies, don't shut this down. This is great counsel for you too but it's, it's more important counsel for men today. And so I hope as we, and we're going to be going all over the place in Scripture, most of which will be on the screen, but you may want to follow along because there may be some things you want to jot down or underline as you, in your Bible as we get there. The first passage is in, is in Matthew 19. We're going to look at We're going to look at, at this being the man from four different perspectives. And this is by no means exhaustive of how the scripture points to manhood, points to fatherhood, and, and the ways it encourages us, but I think is is fairly broad in, in what we look at today. But I think, first of all, we need to be the man your wife needs you to be. That's what this passage talks about. Haven't you read, he replied, Matthew 19, verses 4 to 6, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? He said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. What God has joined together, let no one separate. What your wife needs desperately is for you to see your marriage the way God sees your marriage. If you can look at your marriage through the lens that God looks at your marriage, he looks at it as holy and sacred and something that, is, that, that he has ordained, that he has 
he is put together. He's, he's orchestrated, if you will. The very, in fact, the very first miracle Jesus performs is at a wedding. He goes, in, in essence, to present himself as, as, as to say, I'm blessing the family. I'm blessing marriage. It's the most sacred thing on earth. And I'm going to tell you guys, it's under attack. It's under attack in our world. In fact, um, if you haven't recognized this before, you've, you've kind of had your head in the sand, but it's the most important relationship or re- series of relationships that you'll have. Um, and I want to I help you see today something that maybe you don't realize, and that's this. Well, let me preface that by, by saying this. If, if somebody came after your job, especially if it was somebody from the outside, an outsider, came after your job, you'd fight for it. Most men would fight for their job, fight to keep their job, fight to keep the sense of, 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 of direction and purpose that they have. Yet sometimes we don't feel the same way about our families and certainly about our wives. And what I want you to hear today is this. <clears throat> Somebody's coming after your wife. He may come after her through a, a magazine article that tells her this is, the way, this is the way the perfect marriage is supposed to be. This is what a relationship with your husband is supposed to look like. He may come at her through a conversation with a coworker or a friend or some ladies out to lunch. And, and whether, it's, whether it's men bashing or men encouraging, he may come at her through that kind of vehicle. He may come at her through the frustration of looking at all she needs to be and all she needs to do is, as a wife and as a mom and as, maybe as a sister or as a daughter as a, and all that she needs to do and be and re- realizes, I can't, I can't do this. And that one that's coming after her has a name. And his name is Satan. He may come after her through a magazine article, through a conversation with a friend, through being overwhelmed at work or overwhelmed at life, but he's coming after your wife to steal her, to steal the relationship that you once had, to steal the joy that you once had, to steal the union and the oneness that he talks about in this passage that you once had. He's coming after her, and you need to fight him. You need to be willing to recognize, here he comes. Here's who he is. That's the way he's making himself known here today or here in my home or here to my wife in this situation and fight him and do battle with him. Um, how do we do that? Well, 1 Peter 3, 7 tells us <clears throat> this. It says, husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you in this gracious gift of life. <clears throat> This weaker partner idea we looked at as, as we've been going through First and Second Peter together as the one who is more vulnerable, the one who is, who is oftentimes more fragile and consequently more open and more susceptible to, 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 to breakage, to, to being hurt, to being put upon, to being not made to feel valued. Well, if that's the case, then his admonition here to us is this, that you understand her, he says in this verse. And, and guys, that goes beyond knowing her favorite color or her favorite restaurant or her favorite food. It goes to things like, <clears throat> what hurts you the most? What makes you the most afraid? What makes you feel valued the most? How do you, how do you give and receive love? How, 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 how can I love you better? How can I make sure that I'm hearing and, and receiving the, the, the ways that you want to love me. Those are, <clears throat> those are ways to understanding your wife. Now, it's great to know her, her restaurants and her favorite color. And her, you know, those things aren't, 
totally immaterial, but most guys don't go any deeper than that. They know those things about their wife, but little beyond that. And what he's saying here is to move into substantive things, understand this partner that you live with. Understand this vessel. That's really really the word there in the, in the original Greek is a thin-lined pot, a fragile vessel. Understand this, this lady that you live with that you're sharing life in, in, in a way that you haven't before, in a way that, in fact, exposes you and makes you vulnerable as well. We need to be the man, we need to be the man our wives need us to be, and oftentimes we aren't. Secondly, you need to be the man your children need you to be. <clears throat> Look at this passage in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, this word exasperate literally, literally means to frustrate to the point of giving up. To frustrate to the point of giving up. In essence, to say, bringing your kids to, to, to a point of, of default to say, I can't do this. I can't please my dad. There's no way I can meet his expectations. Now, the, the sad part about that is that in many homes, home after home all across America, acceptance is tied to expectations. That's a dangerous connection to make in homes because if a child feels that their acceptance is tied to their expectations and they're they're doing well, maybe they're doing well in school, maybe their, their peers respect them, and as they do well, the expectations get higher and they get higher and they get higher. And if expectations are tied to acceptance, the only way to receive my dad's acceptance is for me to be all and do all, to be the end all. The danger of that is most kids can't do that. You couldn't do that when you were a kid either, and most kids can't. It's dangerous to tie acceptance to expectations. That's a dangerous connection to make. And if that's a trend in your home, if that's, maybe that's the home you grew up in. And so, Dad, that's what you know. That's all you know to do. Maybe your dad... His acceptance was tied to your expectations. That's a dangerous connection to make because we'll exasperate, we'll frustrate our children to the point of giving up. And sometimes, sadly, once they give up, they can never be retrieved. We can love them. We can, we can, we can be in their presence. We, we, can, you know, we can share Christmas with them and, and, and Thanksgiving, and, but we'll never retrieve them again. We'll never retrieve the bond that we had, the, the, the closeness that we had. Why? Because we've exasperated them. We've pushed them to the point of realizing, I can't do that. I can't be the person he wants me to be. He's saying here that there's real caution in this verse to say, don't do that. But, but the flip side of this verse is this, is to bring them up, he says here, in the training and instruction of the Lord. Um, the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, the, um, There are many books. You can go to a bookstore. There are many books on child raising and child rearing and how to raise a perfect child and you know all this. You, you, they're all, all all across the, uh, the the plane there. Sadly, though, <clears throat> the standard that we fail to set in in, in that is most of us as as we are, we're trying to do our best at raising kids and trying to trying to point them in a good direction and and help them be be good persons and, and you know and, and treat people nice and all that. Sadly. The standard that we set is the standard of the home we grew up in. And that may may be a great standard for you, and it may have been a great model for you to follow. But if that home that you grew up in didn't, if there wasn't a standard higher than because I said so, and that's that's the standard in many homes, you do this because I said so, or 
Don't do as I do, do as I say to do. You know, sadly, that's the standard in many homes, and there needs to be a higher standard than that. The standard in your home and in my home needs to be, this is what God said. And this is, where, this is what his book said. And so I'm responsible for you. In fact, I've got to stand before him one day and account for how I've raised you and the things I've poured into you and the influence that I've brought to bear in your life. I've got to answer for that one day. And so it's far greater if your kids can grow up realizing that there's a standard higher than you. In fact, there's an authority higher than you. You'll do them great service in, as they have kids and, and, and raise their own kids and establish their own home to say, there was a standard higher than my mom and dad's authority in my home, and I knew it because they told me there was. And so if, if I'm going to have any success at all in raising my own children, there's going to have to be a standard that in my home that, that comes to bear in my own life that I, not necessarily that I can blame God for if my kids mess up, but that I know here are some principles that work because my parents, under the tutelage of this book, put them in place in my life, and I'm going to do my best to put them in place in the life of my children as well. Um, sadly, the standard is our culture. The standard is our neighbor's kids. The standard is the, is the kids of the, of the guy down the block or, or, or at church or at school or whatever. Why can't you be more like those kids? Those kids seem to honor their parents. They seem to do well. And sadly, the standard is somebody else rather than here's what God's Word says. And here's, here's how his spirit is leading me in this situation. And I'm going to make mistakes as a dad, and I'm going to blow it. But I'm going to blow it intentionally trying to do what God said to do realizing his ways, his design, his formula is better for our family. Um, so this, this training and instruction of the Lord is the, the hard part about, about being a dad is, 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 is learning this, this balance between, cr- between truth and grace. This balance between boundaries and failure. En- enough boundaries to realize this is, we step outside the boundaries, there's consequences to pay. Sometimes the consequence may be a hand to the backside or, a, or a, in, in the case when I was growing up, it's why I hate forsythia bushes to this day because we had a forsythia bush in our front yard and my mom made me go out and pick a switch off the forsythia bush and, and Leanne's been wanting to put, put up forsythia bushes in my house for, at our house for years and I, no forsythia bushes in my house. They, the, 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 the reminder is way too painful for me. But, so, but anyway, whether it's a Prescythia switch across your, your backside or, or, or it's, you know, as, as, I, as I often say, and I stole this from Bill Cosby, if you have one kid, you're really not a parent because you don't know the challenges of having to raise two kids and discipline the same boundaries. Same boundaries are there, but the discipline is doled out in a different way. For one, that may be what it takes to get the attention. For other, you may be able to look like this, and, and, they're, and they're gone to tears. I mean, it's just like that. And so the, the emotional makeup of each kid, male or female, doesn't matter. The emotional makeup of each kid is, is very different. So that's where the hard part of parenting comes in, is how can I keep the boundaries consistent and true and there and unquestioned, yet at the same time, between the boundaries, allow for a lot of grace and allow for a lot of failure and allow for a lot of different methodology in dealing with one kid than another. Well, that's the hard part. It really is to keep the boundaries in place, to keep truth in place, to keep a standard in place to say there's a higher standard than just what I say. And here's the standard to keep those things in place. Yet in between those guardrails, in between those boundaries to allow for a lot of grace and a lot of failure and a lot of I don't understand this and a lot of I need help and a lot of will you pray for me (laughs) and a lot of seeking an older dad, seeking a mentor to say, how do I handle this? I mean, I, I wouldn't anticipate this coming, coming down my pike. So 
that's the challenging part, but the boundaries, guys, have always got to be there. The boundaries have got to be in place, and it's your responsibility as a dad to make sure they're there. Now, many wives will assume the role of disciplinarian if a dad don't, and shame on us for allowing that to occur because that role is yours, according to Scripture. It's, it's your job to make sure those boundaries are in place, but it's also your job to make sure that there's grace and there's room for failure in between the guardrails. Sadly, we are either at one extreme or another as dads. There's either no boundaries because we want to be our kid's buddy and we want them to like us and we want them to want to hang out with us. So there's no boundaries. It's whatever you want. Or it's all boundaries and no grace. In fact, the boundaries get squeezed and it gets tighter and it gets tighter and there's no grace. And I've got to be a perfect kid all the time to, as I said earlier, gain my dad's approval, to gain his acceptance. Boundaries is all there are in my home. No grace at all. We need to learn to walk that balance. And that's a hard balance to walk. And as I say, sometimes we need some help with it. Sometimes we need the help of of going back to Scripture to see the things that we need to be reminded of. Sometimes we need the help of going to an older dad, an older mentor to say, and and your dad's great if if he's a source, if he's still alive, and he was a great source for you growing up. Use your dad. Use your own dad. But if not, find somebody that has influenced you, that you've seen the way they've raised their kids, and there's a model there that you're willing to follow and, and invest some time and energy and effort into that relationship because it'll pay off. Sometimes we need some encouragement and help along the way. Don't be afraid to seek that. But you need to be the man your children need you to be. Thirdly, you need to be the man your community needs you to be. Look at this passage in 1 Corinthians 13. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Um, it's time men in our culture grew up and started acting like men. Now, guys, <clears throat> there's, there's nothing wrong with, with, with golf or with fishing or with cars or with whatever hobbies you enjoy. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But sadly, more men spend their time and effort and energy and money investing in things, the results of which are going to burn up, as opposed to investing in the very home that God designed them to lead in the very relationships that he designed them to nurture, in the very place that he said is a sacred place. That's a holy place because I've ordained it. I've said so. It's a holy place. And so many times we find ourselves going about, and, and there's nothing wrong. As I say, there's nothing evil about any of those things, about any of those habits or hobbies, so don't, don't stop them necessarily. But keep those things in perspective. Don't allow them to be elevated to a place that's of, of equal power and of equal influence and of equal opportunity as the rest of your family and the rest of your home. There's a danger in that. The danger is we're pursuing childish things. We're pursuing things that make us feel better or make us feel happy as opposed to things we realize we need to do and, and the man we realize we need to be. Um, and and I, I realize that's a hard pursuit as well. Uh, if you remember last week in Second Peter 2, there was this great phrase in Second Peter 2 that says, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. They're slaves to whatever we have allowed to have control, to have mastery over our lives. We don't intend for it to become that way. We didn't set out to be a slave to it. But over time, incrementally, we become a slave to that, whatever it is, whatever, as I say, it may be a hobby, maybe some kind of side interest you have. And so the danger in allowing, that, allowing yourself to be enslaved to that is that now I'm serving it instead of it serving me. And it's controlling me. It's controlling my thought life. It's controlling my outside energies. It's controlling my habits. It's controlling part, uh, maybe a good hunk of my money. It's controlling me rather than me 
the other way around. And, and this community, uh, your, your sphere of influence, Knoxville, the, the, the neighborhood you live in, they need us men to, be, to put away childish things and, and to grow up and act like big boys. They really do because most guys don't do that. And so the guys that do are going to stick out. They're going to stick out in a positive way. I mean, guys in the, around them in their sphere of influence are going to look to them. Vince uh, led our, our men's uh, breakfast and, and devotion yesterday and really brought home a great point to say every man needs validation. Every man needs to be validated, by, preferably by a dad. But every man, and, and all of us really, women too, daughters and sons, we need validation. You know what validates quicker than anything? Seeing something that works. Seeing something that works. Instead of floundering in failure and wondering why I'm there. Wondering why my fatherhood, wondering why me myself as a husband, wondering why me as a person in this community, why I don't have greater influence than I have. I, I look back on my life, and <clears throat> you do too probably, guys, and you think, man, there's an opportunity wasted. Or there's, there's three years, that, or five years, that just you think, I thought I would have greater influence at my age than I've got. And yet, as I look back, maybe the lack, my lack of influence is blamed on the fact that I was pursuing the wrong thing. That I allowed the wrong things to have greater value and define who I was rather than allowing the Lord to define who I was. Um, look at this passage in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Great verses right here. It says this, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Whatever he does prospers. Do you want to experience God's blessing as a man? Well, you're nuts if you say no. Do you want to experience God's blessing? Well, here's the promise of his blessing. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of mockers. He's like a tree planted by streams of water whose roots go deep. Guys, if we want to be blessed of God, it's time in our communities we take a stand for what's right. It's time we unashamedly and abashedly say, here's who I am, here's what I believe, here's who my family is, here's where we stand, and we're not moving from this. Regardless of where our culture goes, regardless of what that looks like, how, how weak or how needy that may look like, we're going to take a stand in this place on this issue at, at, at this juncture of life and say, we're not moving from this. And, and so even if we stick out in our neighborhood, we stick out in our community, we stick out at work, we need to take a stand. We need to be men who are willing to, to cast some roots down and be a tree that will take, take some storms and be a tree that will take some, some weathering because we're going to stand in this place. Why? Because it's the right place. It may not be the convenient place because sometimes, guys, we may find ourselves standing alone. And that's a lonely place. I've been there before. Some of you have been there before. We may find yourself in a situation standing alone, but you're there because you believe in your heart. You know in your heart that it's the right place to be. Sometimes that's a lonely place. But that's the place God's called us to. That's a place, according to Psalm chapter 1, that he wants us to be. Um, how do we know that that's there? The answer is here in this passage as well. He says, this, this guy, this, this kind of man, he delights himself in the law of the Lord. In essence... He finds great fruit, great food in this book. In the law of the Lord, I find my delight. I find the things that feed me, that make me feel sufficient and equipped to stand. 
equipped to take a place here and say, here's where I am. Here's who I am. Here's what I believe. Here's where my family's headed. I hope you'll head there with me, but if you don't, we're still headed in this direction. That's difficult sometimes, guys, because it may cause some relationships to sever. It may cause some friendships to, to, to create friction, taking a stand where you need to take a stand, but that's what he's called us to do. And, uh, man, we need to do that. Um, his word, he's, he's saying in essence in these verses, his word will never fail. Um, we'll be fruitful, we'll be strong, we'll be prosperous. Instead of being weak, being silent, and being feminized. And that's what's happening in our culture. This culture is intentionally, guys, coming after you to make you weaker, to make you silent, and to make you more feminized. In fact, I think it's, in, it's intentional, and I, I, this is not anti-public education because we have public educators here. I'm married to one, so I've got to live with this when I go home. So, but this happens, I think, when, as, as guys are, I mean, little, little boys are in elementary school. In elementary school, I, I think that there, there is, and I don't, know that it's, I don't know that it's intentional on the part of the teacher necessarily. It's not, not so much so. But it's intentional on the part of, of, of educational psychologists who think they know better than God of how to raise kids. And what I'm going to tell you, to be tr- what I'm gonna tell you today, I think you'll find to be true, and that is boys, little boys, are, 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 are squelched in, in their little boyhood to, to have opinions. You're not supposed to have an opinion in a classroom. You're supposed to keep your mouth shut. You should keep your mouth shut. I mean, you're going to get in trouble if you don't in class. You don't, don't talk when a teacher tells you not to talk. But, but little, you know what little boys are designed to do? Little boys are designed to fight. Little boys are designed to conquer. Little boys are designed to play. Little boys are designed to win. That's what little boys are wired for. You know what's happening in school? You've got to be equal to the little girls. You can't, you can't be superior to the little girls. You can't win over little girls. You know, do your kids play battle ball anymore? You can't find a battle ball game in, in school anymore. You know why? Because girls would get hit in the head with a battle ball, with, 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 a, with, a, with a rubber ball. Maybe it hurt, but it was fun, you know, to, to, to hit the girls and get the girls out of the game. So I, that's something else I have to live with when I go on to. Uh, but that's, that's what little boys are designed to do. And you know what our culture is doing? It's marginalizing the masculinity of little boys. It's incrementally feminizing men. To the, to the degree that we have no voice in the public square anymore. You're just like everybody else. You know why? That's dangerous. Because God's designed for men to lead. God's designed for men to lead. You know why women are leading? Because guys are silent, they're weak, and they're feminized. And until we realize that as moms and dads, and combat that, especially if we have little boys in our home, and combat that very thing that's happening in our culture, and it's not just happening at schools, it's happening all across our culture, What's going to happen is, is we're going to raise little boys unintentionally. We're going to raise little boys that are weak, that are silent, and that are feminized. And we're going to wonder when they grow to be adulthood and they can't make a decision, what, what happened to you? And what happened to them is I allowed them as a dad to be weak, to be silent, and to be, I allowed the culture to raise my child instead of God raising my child according to the principles of this book. His principles, guys, will work every time, every time. We, we, are, we, are, uh, we are, as I said earlier, we are incrementally conditioned to think, if you need the principles of this book, you must be weak. You must, not, you must be uneducated. You must be really naive to think you need some of this to, to make your family work. And I'm going to tell you, his principles work every time, every time we put them into place. Sadly, 
They don't get put into place often enough. And what we find is we're trying to to teach young boys and young men and adolescents and 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds how to make a decision, how to realize what they believe and where they stand and why they believe that and why they're standing there. And so that's the role, fathers, that you and I have. That's the role that we play. That's the role men should play in our culture. We need to accept that and embrace that and not feel like we're, we're somehow being too domineering. We're being too influential. We're being too... Let our culture go and let's look at the things of the Lord. Finally... Here's the most important one. Not only do we, we need to be the man our wife needs to be and our children need us to be and, and our community or our culture needs to be, but we need to be the man our Lord needs us to be. We need to man, be the man God needs us to be, that he's designed and destined for us to be. Look at this passage in First Timothy chapter 2. Therefore I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. To be a man of prayer, he says. Guys, I don't know what your prayer life looks like. And I don't know how, <clears throat> how comfortable or how ashamed you are with it. I don't know how comfortable you are at praying in front of your kids or in front of your family or how intimidated maybe that makes you. I don't know how comfortable you're praying. I, I just called on Scott, Scott earlier to pray here in public, in church. I don't know how comfortable you are with that or how much that intimidates you. But what he's saying here is we need to be men who not only are comfortable with prayer, but pursue it, go after it, not just tolerate it, not just accept it as, a, as something I need to do, but as the vehicle to my connecting with my God, connecting with my Father. That's the vehicle, that's the, that's the bond, the glue that holds us together, that helps me see the things He wants me to see, helps me sense the things the Spirit wants me to sense and understand and know. That's the glue, that's the bond that holds us together. Now, I don't know whether specifically, and, and, and I don't know anybody else that knows this either, but I don't know specifically whether the prayer in this verse is just referring to prayer, both private, public, or whether it's re- referring to a spirit of prayer and lifting up holy hands, he says here. I don't know whether that's in the context of worship or in the context of privacy. Either way, I think it's great counsel. It's sound counsel. And guys, you and I need to be less intimidated over prayer. We need to be less intimidated over over talking to the God who knows more than we know, who sees farther than we can see, who knows the best thing for our family, for our kids, for our job. He knows the best in all those situations. We need to pursue him and be less intimidated about talking to him. I mean, talking to him, frankly, just like you would talk to a friend. And so don't be intimidated if you don't know the words that you should stand up in almighty God. We're here today to pray. Forget that. I don't know where you heard that. I don't know who sowed that into your mind to think that's the way it's spoken. Forget that. That's junk. Just talk to the Lord like you would talk to anybody else. You shouldn't be intimidated by praying to him. He's, he's seeking that. In fact, he's following you around saying, will you pray? Can we talk? That's the, that's, he's seeking that kind of relationship out of us and, and seldom does he get it because we're too intimidated to try, too intimidated to, to pursue that. So whether that's, whether that's literally in prayer or whether, whether those holy hands are, go beyond prayer to worship, I want to encourage you guys to be less intimidated about worshiping your God. Uh, he's, remember the things he's done for you. Recall the things he's sown into you. See the things that he's blessed you with. See the things that, and if worship can't grow out of those, shame on you. We need to be, we need to be transparent before our family, not, and not only our, our personal family, but our extended family is the body of Christ. And beyond our extended family to community use, I don't care if they see me worship. I don't care if they see me love my God. I don't care if they see me, 
uh, humble before him. I don't care if they see the expression of my worship or they hear it. I don't care if I sing on key, off key. It doesn't matter. My worship is, is designed to give him praise, give him glory, give him honor. And we need to be less intimidated about those kind of things. Women are less intimidated than us men. Shame on us. Not, they don't have any problems. We're the ones who got the problem. We need to be less intimidated about expressing ourselves to our family in prayer, in worship. Where that's seen, that's realized as normal. And, and, our, and our kids grow up expecting that kind of atmosphere around our home and around our life. Here, though, is something I want you to, to see here um, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Be strong, he says. Be strong in what? Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in grace. Have the strength to realize grace needs to be applied, not only to my family, to my world, to my community, because I need to, I need to supply and apply grace to my life because grace has been applied to me. I don't know if you, I hope you men here today are honest enough to feel the way I feel, and that is this. I'm amazed that God has anything to do with me. Blows my mind the grace that's been applied to my life. But we're to be strong in grace. Why? Because grace has been given to us. That's why grace needs to be applied to our kids, our wives, our, our families, our the guys we work with that, that are going to take our position, take our... Grace needs to be applied in those situations. Does that mean I need to become a loser? <laughs> no. That's not what grace looks like. It's not what grace looks like at all. It looks like finding ourselves at a place of willing humility to the point that God says, I'll exalt you. When it's time to exalt you, I'll exalt you. You don't worry about exalting yourself. I'll take care of that. You just live a life of abundant grace. When you live a life of abundant grace, I'll take care of the outcome. I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of everything in your life. If you want your life to work, if you want it to look like me, apply grace. Apply abundant grace. Um, secondly, though, here's, here's some great counsel. Not only does he say we need, to, we need to be strong in grace. In essence, it needs to be a stalwart in our life. It needs to be something that we're, we're, that, that's who we are, that's in the DNA of us, not something that has to be forced. Sadly, my wife has to force me to, to, to be graceful. She has to force me to, to apply mercy. Why? Because I'm such a clear-cut, black-and-white God that, there's truth and error, there's right, there's wrong, there's, and I need grace applied in my life. And, and the more I remember, as I say, grace applied in my life, the easier it is for me to, to do that. But we need, we need accountability, and we need to be strong in that. And that's where this second point comes in. He says, entrust these things, and these are things of value. He's talking here, be strong in grace. But he said, these things you, these, and this is Paul talking to young Timothy. He's saying, these things that you've heard that I've said in the presence of many, these solid things, these bedrock things, these things that matter, Entrust these things to reliable men. Why does he say that? He says that to remind Timothy, Timothy, you need reliable men around you. You don't do well alone. In fact, Genesis 2 tells us it's not good for man to be alone. 
God makes a decision. I'm going I'm to send a helper for him because he don't do well by himself. And we don't, guys. We usually don't. Given, given our situations of being alone or being, being with others, we do better with others. That's how we're wired. That's how we're designed. And, and I'm, uh, you know, sometimes I work alone and I work by myself and, and, I, and I'm, I'm content to do that. But I realize as well that, that I, need, I need the connection of other people. I need, I need this body. I, I need friends. I need, and he says, put these things, invest these things into reliable men. Here's, here's what I want to ask you guys. Are there any, any guys like that in your life? Are there any reliable men? I, I've used this term before, and I, and I think it applies here. How many foxhole friends do you have? I mean, if you're in a foxhole and bullets are flying and it's a life or death situation, you know they've got your back. No question about it. No, no question. I can number those guys on one hand in my life. How many of those, how many of those friends do you have, guys? Reliable men. Men that you know that when, it, when it's serious stuff, they're there. You can count on them. You don't have to question. You can pick up a phone or sometimes you don't have to pick up a phone. They'll pick up a phone and call you, hey, you doing okay with this? Those kinds of reliable men are the kinds of men we need in our lives. You know why? Because back to Genesis 2, we don't do well alone. We don't do well solving our own problems. We don't do well without the accountability without the encouragement, without the needed friendship of reliable men. We need that. Ladies, understand that. It's not, it's not that you're insufficient, because you are, and, and, and that's, that's the, the picture that God wired in Genesis 2, is that I'm, I'm going to complete man, I'm going to complete his aloneness with somebody that can share life intimately with him and share that same level of, of as we talked about other, uh, a few moments ago, mutual vulnerability. We need that, and that's, that's, that's the role you play. But... Guys need other men in their life. In fact, don't be threatened by that, but encourage it. Encourage it in the life of your husband to say, you need to find some guys that that love God and love you and will love God in front of you unashamedly. We'll help you stand. We'll help encourage you. We'll help pray for you, pray with you, walk through life, walk through a hard place, share a joy. We need reliable men in our lives, and when we don't have it, we suffer for it. And and life doesn't, doesn't work well for us most of the time. We need each other. Because here's the truth. If the enemy has you isolated, he has you whipped. Already whipped if you're alone. He's got you. He can work incrementally or he can work situationally, drastically sometimes, to bring you down, to, 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 to take you to a place that you never thought you'd be before. Why? Because I got isolated. I got alone. I didn't surround myself with reliable men. If my life's surrounded with, with reliable men, I've got the courage to, we've got the courage to lock arms and do battle together against him. And we win. But alone, we don't do very well. And we don't, we don't need isolation, guys. Um, well, a couple of observations here and, and we're done. And, and that's this. Here's good news. You don't have to clean up before you step up today. You don't have to clean up before God accepts you, before you step up. And be the kind of man he's wanting you to be. Because you know why? You know why I know that's true. First of all, you can go through this book and see story after story where that's true. But <clears throat> I look at the twelve he picked to follow him, and I wouldn't have picked any of those twelve guys. Would you guys? I wouldn't have picked any of those guys. <clears throat> twelve. Have you ever hang out with, with guys that fish all the time? That are just avid fishermen all the time. 
when they're out when they're out in the boat on the lake, they're they're you know, it can get the 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 conversation can get a little tawdry sometimes. The, the jokes can get a little not not to mention corny, but they can get a little risque. So, I mean, guys guys that are out that are out fishing all the time, and it's, it's, if you love to fish, guys, fish, keep fishing. Just you know, hear <laughs> hear me in the spirit of God's word today. The, 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 these are the kind of guys that he went after. These crude crude kind of guys, and they smelled, they stunk. That's the, that was their living. And he, he goes by the seashore and calls these guys. I wouldn't have called those guys. I would have found somebody brighter, sharper than these guys. They're, they're the dull end of the tack, most of them. And he calls, Matthew's a tax collector, the scum of, a thief, the scum of society. He walks by and picks 12 misfits, basically, and takes those 12 misfits and changes the world with them. Changes the world with those 12 guys. You know what that tells me? You don't have to clean up before you step up. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have all the ducks in a row before God can use you because he can use anybody, anytime, anywhere, in any situation. And he has, and he will, and he'll continue to do that. You don't have to clean up before you step up. But here's, here's something else too I want to charge us with before we go, and that is to let your failures be lessons and not a legacy. To let your failures be lessons Instead of a legacy. Sadly, we look at our failures and we think, that's who I am. That's, that's me. No, that's a failure. And that failure needs to be a lesson in my life. It doesn't need to be a legacy. It doesn't be, need to be something that I absorb as a lifestyle. Um, you know, 14 and 0 seasons are, are a lot better than, you know, 1 and 13. You know what you learn, though, in the 1 and 13 seasons? The things that make the 14 and 0 seasons work. You learn more in failure than you do in success. All of us are that way. God's got our attention in the middle of failure. He's got our attention after a loss of a game. We figure out what happened. We thought we could beat these guys. What happened? I, I, thought, I, would, I, thought, I thought I could keep that job. What happened? I thought my marriage would, would work better than this. And so rather than seeing ourselves as destined, as, as, as legacies of failure, we need to see failure as, as a lesson in life and not as something that's, that's who I am. And so over time, I just accept it. That's who I am. Never going to be even better than this. My life's destined for failure. And so I'll, just learn, I'll go from one failure to the next and, and try to navigate it, try to make it work, try to keep the bills paid. But that's, that's what life is. Life is a series of failures. No, it's not. Wasn't designed to be that way. God's not wired you for that. He's wired you to look at the lessons in your life, look at the failures in your life, and learn from them to the extent that we don't go there again. We get it. Sometimes it may take 2, 3, 12, 15 times to get but we get it. We understand we don't go there again. That led to this. That's not where I want to be. Here's where I want to be. So I need to put my mind and my heart in a different direction. I need to look at life through a different lens. Um, many of you saw D-Day was, was a week ago last Friday, uh, the anniversary of the, the invasion of, of the beaches at Normandy. And, and you probably saw uh, some documentaries or things on TV and... Um, we were watching that as well. Uh, I don't know what channel, but we, it was some documentary on D-Day, and they were interviewing some of these guys. All these guys are old guys, naturally. They're in their, in their 80s at this point, most of them, and so some of them 90s. And, and so they're interviewing these guys, and, and one of, the, one of the, the, the responses of one of these guys struck me, and he said, uh, uh, the, the interviewer asked him, he said, didn't want to turn, as, as these amphibious boats were landing at the beach and, and the gates were dropping, you guys were heading out on the beach, and you saw this just destruction around you. 
I mean, you saw bodies everywhere. Didn't it scare, didn't it scare you? Weren't you afraid? To, weren't you, didn't it make you want to turn back and get back in the boat and head back to, back to safety, back to what you, what you had come, come from? And he said, listen, failure wasn't an option. As I was stepping over the bodies of my brothers, failure was not an option. And as we see, guys, the, the life we lead and the influence we bring to bear in the lives of people around us, whether it's friends, whether it's, whether it's coworkers, whether it's neighbors, whether it's our family, our own kids, we need to see the power of that influence. Failure is not an option for you. Now, it's not the end of the game if you fail, and you will fail, maybe multiple times as a dad if you're like me. But failure is not an option. You can't stay there. You've got to choose. I can't, I can't stay here. This is not who I am. This doesn't define me. It's a lesson learned. It's, it's a bad decision with consequences that I've paid for or maybe still paying for. It's a failure, but that's not who I am. That's not who God's designed me to be. That's not who I'm destined to be. That's not me. That's a lesson learned. That's a situation that I've learned to come through, walk through, and see through a different lens. I want to encourage you today to, to look at that and, and realize that, that certainly we're going to fail, but failure shouldn't be the end of the world. It shouldn't be the end of your walk. It shouldn't be the end of your witness. It shouldn't be the end of your influence. It's just a sidestep. It's a lesson learned. And we, we're going to learn them, and we're going to make them, and we're going to make more. But the wiser you get, and the more you learn from them, the fewer you make. And the fewer you make, the greater influence you have to bear. And the greater influence you have to bear, the greater people look at your life and say, what's, what's up with him? And the greater people look at your life and say, what's up with him? Conversations start to occur. Questions start to happen. Can we have lunch together? Can we? And, and those things grow into... Share, share with me your thinking on this, or, or what's your opinion on that? And, and, and guys, that influence begins to, to expand and grow, and, and we, we're starting to ask ourselves, what happened? And what happened is we started to learn from the failures and not commit them again, and we started to grow wiser, and that, that wisdom started to have influence in other people's lives, initially with our family and beyond our family with the guys we work with and beyond work with guys we hang out with or go to eat lunch or dinner with or play golf with or go fish with or whatever. And that influence is brought to bear in the lives of other reliable men. And we need that. That's who God's wired us and designed for us to be. Um, I wish you guys today could see the glimpse of, of the plan God has for you, of the guy he's designed for you to be. We were our... our uh, community group is going through Revelation together. And we've talked about, especially recently, because in the last couple of weeks, we've looked at the great white throne judgment together. And, and we've talked about the, the Bema seat judgment, the, the, the judgment of believers, the, the, the judgment where, where um, uh, rewards are handed out. And as I've thought on that judgment over the years and still, still today, I, I see, uh, although, you know, and here's a life that most of my adult life has been devoted to ministry and and, and I, I know folks are going to be in the kingdom because of that, and I, I, I praise God for that. But as I stand before him, what I, what I anticipate hearing, and it, and it shames me to say this, but what I anticipate hearing is, is hearing him say, here's what you chose right here, and here's what I had for you. This is what I had for you, and here's all you saw. Here's all you were willing to see. And guys, I wish we could see things from God's perspective for us. I wish we could see the plans, the design, the ways he has for us to be the kind of guys he's designed for, for us to be, destined for us to be. If we could see that daily, I, I think we'd never turn back. I think our trek would be different. I think the results of our life would be different. Our thoughts would be different. Our conversations would be different. 
the reliable men around us would be different because of that. If we could get a glimpse day after day after day, here's the guy he's designed for me to be. Here's the guy he wants me to be, the kind of influence he wants me to bring to bear. We need those kind of men. Every home needs that kind of dad. I had one in my home. Every home needs that kind of dad. Needs the kind of dad who knows who they are, who knows where they stand, why they stand there, and are unashamed to share that with someone else. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Cross Point Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.